Luke chapter 16, 1 through 15. Let's read verses 1 through 9. I'll go ahead and read it out. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And so he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. And uh, Sorry, I lost my place already. Uh, yeah, I'll, yeah, sorry, verse 4. I know that I'll do so that uh, when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And so he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it for 450. And then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, take out your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Lord God, we come before you and um, we ask that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Jesus, on on this subject, we ask that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open. Whatever has been um, fortified in our minds and our thinking that is not of of you, we ask that you tear it down, Lord, that there would be a a biblical perspective on the topic we are about to approach, that we come with humility, Lord, and that um, whatever is said that is not of you this morning, Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be so, but if it is off, Lord, I pray that your people just wouldn't hear it. And so, Lord, we come before you humbly and just ask for you to speak. We thank you for your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus is speaking to his disciples about money and its relation to the kingdom of God. It's a subject that many pastors like myself talk about, sometimes accurately, sometimes inaccurately, sometimes with great uh, hopes and sometimes with impure motives. Um, sadly, as I you know, kind of look at televangelists and things like that, how many of you have been discouraged as you look out there and they're asking for mon- more money so they can get a Learjet? And <clears throat> You know, they, they, they use terms like, you know, hey, you need to give, just put a, a seed faith gift. You need to give a seed of faith, and that seed of faith happens to be associated with dollar bills. And they say that if you give that seed faith or that seed faith offering, that uh, if you give that little bit, God will give you so much that you won't know what to do with it, um, that you will, all your, you know, your healing, you'll have healing, you'll have money, you'll have all these things, and that's the sign of God's blessing on your life. You know, or the reason that you have not been healed is because you lack faith. And the way you show that faith is to give that seed money. And of course, you need to water that seed money, so you sprinkle a little more money on top of that seed to cause it to grow. And before you know it, you're healed and you're rich, and everything is great here in the kingdom of man. Amen? <clears throat> no, that is not the gospel. Now, there are some biblical principles in there which makes it hard because we do give and God does give us back. Amen? And, and, but the, I, I, there's a tendency, um, and you can read this about Second Peter chapter 2, other places, for false teachers to um, play upon people's 
hearts and emotions to feed their own selfish desires. And that's what they're doing. They're lining their own pockets and they're not preaching about the kingdom. They're preaching about their own kingdom. And, and so when the topic of money comes up in the church, a lot of us just check out. How many of you are kind of like, oh, great. It's my first time here and he's talking about money. <clears throat> now, I want everybody to hold up uh, on their fingers that have been here for a long time. How many times in the last eight years I've been here uh, have I talked uh, about money? Five? Probably five, right? And when did I talk about money? When it came up in the Bible. We teach verse by verse, and like when we get to it, we talk about it. And that's what I love about the Word of God, is you can just go right through it. And, and I assume that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to this morning about this issue. And He's speaking to me as I studied about it. And so we, you know that the, the elders don't appeal to you for money. We don't put pressure sales on you and all this type of stuff. But we do ask, we come to you uh, occasionally when there is a need that we believe that the Lord is, is calling us to, perhaps like the Jesus Wells a couple years ago, or there's some giant project we need to um, you know, take care of, or there's someone in the body that we want to bless, that type of thing. Those things happen. Um, but it's, it's in general, we only preach about money and, and talk about it usually when it comes up. And so if you're new here, just, just know that this is not uh, the normal. But here we are in Luke chapter 16, and Jesus is speaking to disciples about money. And so many, uh, and I'm just asking that the Lord would really give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church through His Word. Amen? The story that Jesus gives is about a rich man who had a manager that was wasting his resources, and he called him before him to give an account and then to fire him. Um, how many of you have, don't raise your hands, have had an employee, uh, <laughs> have had an employee where they're just like, okay, this is it, we're done, and we're going to fire you, and you got to bring them before to give an account of where things are, and that's the situation that's going on here. Now, there's a lot of debate about what happens next, because when this manager realizes um, that he was going to be out of work, he quickly brought in ma- his master's debtors. And, and settled their debts for half of what they owed. And, 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 we, and you know, those who debate about these types of things, it's wonderful life. Um, they were simply, you know, there's ideas about whether or not he did it on his own authority or he took out his own commission or he didn't add the interest. Whatever it is, he took advantage of the situation. And the point that Jesus is driving home is that the manager started preparing for his immediate future by using the tools at his disposal to make his master's debtors his own debtors. Does that make sense a little bit? So that when he left his job, he would have a place to live and to work as he was about to be out of work and no place to live. So he used his master's wealth to prepare for his future. And in verse 8, when the master learns of this, we hear a strange response. It says that in verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. Now, Jesus is not trying to speak to the morality of the situation. He calls the manager dishonest, and it seems here that, uh, that Jesus isn't pointing out, oh, this guy was right or this guy was wrong. He's trying to use an everyday understanding of what was going on in the culture to draw a spiritual point. And he's using two wicked people to do it. And so don't get caught up in those details. 
He rather uses them to make that point in the latter half of verse 8 where we read that Jesus says, For the people of this world, and this is the point of the illustration, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. See, the situation I just read you, did you see how shrewd that manager is? He's way more shrewder than people of the light. Yes, shrewder, I used that word. It's mine. (laughs) Grammarians, they get on me all the time. (laughs) So Jesus is saying that the world is shrewd when it comes to using their wealth to preparing for their future more than Christians are in preparing for our future. Well, let that sink in. So Jesus says in verse 9, I tell you, and here's the application, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So buy your friends. Let's take an offering and go. No, I'm just kidding. No, that's not what's going on. That's not what Jesus is saying. Is it a little confusing though? It is a little confusing. What does Jesus mean by this? Jesus uses the story of a rich man and his manager to say that the manager saw the writing on the wall and used whatever was at his disposal to secure his future. This is how the ungodly world works. They are shrewd concerning their own own future. And so he's saying to his disciples that similarly uh, to that shrewd manager who bought his friends, they were to use the riches of this present age to gain friends for themselves so that when it is gone, they will be welcomed in eternal dwellings. In other words, The world is focused on earthly security and temporal security. Disciples of Jesus are focused on eternal rewards. And we are to leverage everything we have for the kingdom of God, like that shrewd manager. The money and the possessions that the disciples had were to be used for the kingdom to win the lost for Christ. Do you hear me? to win the lost for Christ so that on that day when they enter eternity, those who were saved through their sacrifices would be waiting for them. Does that make sense? Buy for yourself friends. Say you can't buy them, but use everything you have to bring people into the kingdom. So they will be with you on that day. And I believe this is why Jesus commanded the disciples in Luke 12, 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief, come, uh, thief comes and uh, <clears throat> comes near and no moth destroys. They were to use this world's wealth, which is perishing, which is going away, to evangelize the lost and bring them to eternal life. Do you see it there in the parable now? A little bit. We're going to develop it a little further. But the world is shrewd with their future, although it is temporal. You are to be shrewd with your future, so to speak. Take all the resources that God has given you. What are the resources God's given you? Three major ones we kind of clump them into, your time, your talent, and your treasure. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. 
securing for yourself rewards and treasure in heaven, among them the joy of having people know Christ because they were able to hear and believe upon Jesus because you invested in that. And this is what has been entrusted to Christians. To no longer primarily view our money as a means of securing our temporal future on earth. Do you hear me? Not just using our money as a primary means, as our, as our mean, mode of life is, is, is providing security for our retirement, which is a few years. That's not the, the primary purpose of the resources, the talents, and the treasures, and the things that you have. Now, it is biblical to save and to work hard and to do those things. I'm not speaking against those things. But to primarily view our money as that means of securing a temporary future on earth, that's worldly thinking. That's worldly thinking. That's not how Christians are to think. We're thinking about the kingdom to come. This world is passing away. We are to sacrifice and to give towards the mission of the church, which is to glorify God. And one of the major ways God is glorified is that the gospel would be preached. Jesus Christ would be displayed in how we live and what we do with our time and our talents and, and our treasure. Amen? The people would hear the gospel and repent and believe. And so as disciples of Jesus, Jesus' mission becomes whose mission? My mission. And if his mission is my mission, my resources are not my own, they're, they're his. And I am a steward saying, how do you want this to be spent? Where do you want it to go? Where do I invest my life? Where do my time, my talent, my treasures, where are they invested in your kingdom, Lord Jesus? I hope that challenges you this morning as it's challenging me. And in this age of money, uh, we, in this age, we want to use money as a tool used in that mission. It's a tool used in the mission. And it really reflects our hearts, doesn't it? So yes, we work hard, we plan, and we save. These are all biblical principles. And we obviously, we don't accumulate money through dishonest gain. We don't uh, steal or, you know, by means of fraud. We don't take advantage of people or gambling with trust and chance rather than the providence of God. For believers to truly glorify God, we must transfer the ownership of our possessions to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must make exalting Christ in proclaiming the gospel, the supreme purpose of our lives. Like that is what you are here for now, is for his mission and his glory. And I hope this makes you feel very uncomfortable because it makes me feel very uncomfortable because I ask, am I a mission? Am I about his kingdom or am I about my own solely? And that means for many of us, we need to change our view about money and its purpose. And sadly, many of us are living in a way where we are not in the position to support the kingdom because we're so in debt and our spending hasn't been changed to reflect the new life we've been given, you know. I've been there and I understand it. And so don't think I'm talking down to you. I am one who has been in incredible debt before and made dumb decisions, but God is gracious and he is good and he can help 
you. So getting out of debt and, and paying bills and prioritizing spending, eliminating foolish spending, selling items that perpetuate debt and refusing to borrow money for luxuries and learning to be content are all things that need to be developed in our character as Christians. Amen? And, and I know some of us are going, oh, I can never get out of this. Or I can never do this. I'm just an incredible bondage to the situation. Listen, God can help. He can help change who you are and what you've done and all those things. You've got a body of people around you who'd love to help you. I mean, just want to encourage you. If you, you know, you need help looking at your finances, you're out of control spending, whatever it might be. I mean, you've got people in who are, who are godly people who manage their money well and who aren't greedy, who actually live up to these, these things that God has shown and would love to help you out. Come bug me. Not that I'm that person, but I mean, <laughs> I want to point you to those people. Amen. <laughs> I'm still learning. You know, some of us say that if I had more money, I would give to the Lord more and do this and that. Anybody ever said that? Anybody believe that? You know what? Uh, Let me say that you won't. You won't. Character, not circumstances, determines faithfulness. If you aren't faithful now, you're not going to be faithful then. Think of the poor widow. When she had very little, she gave all, and yet some who have all give very little. And so we're to be faithful with what we've been now entrusted. Now, verse 10 of our text today, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with what? Much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with what? With much. So the question is, have you been faithful with what you have been entrusted to by God? what's going on with your time, talents, and your treasure, you know? If you can be trusted with little, this world's riches, the Lord will entrust you with much heavenly rewards and heavenly riches in the age to come, and that's the picture there. This age is the age of little. We see it in the the, um, parable of the talents, where one was given one, one was given five, one was given ten. What did they do with it now? And there will be a day of accounting when the Lord says, what have you done? And the one with one, uh, or the one with five, I forgot the number was, ten? One of those. At ten, and and he invested it in the kingdom, right? And he said, well well done, good and faithful servant. You know, here's, you've you've been given ten, I'm going to give you ten more. You're going to be entrusted to that. And that is when we actually are standing before the Lord, we'll be rewarded according to what we actually have done. See, there's salvation. Yay, we're saved. But what have you done with that salvation? Have we actually followed Jesus Christ, or are we simply among the people said, yay, I prayed the prayer, now I'm going to continue to live however I want? And the Bible would declare that perhaps those people aren't really disciples because disciples actually follow after Christ and change their lives according to His will. And so there's this beautiful tension in Scripture that I speak of often and I think, you know, are we saved? Yes, but work out your fear with work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What's that? Both. <laughs> Do it. So what has God given you? I want everybody to go like this for a second. That's not yours. It's on loan. God's giving you some oxygen. Heart's beating. You can lift up your hands, you can move, you can walk. 
You guys have mouths, a lot of you? I have one. <laughs> that's yours. That's, that's on loan, you know, so to speak. You, God is, is, in, is giving you stuff. You have a job. You have people around you that don't know the Lord. You see someone in need around you. You have resources. You know, and, and you go, you know what? I'll, I'm not trying to just help that person help that person out. I'm trying to create a door so that the gospel can be given and presented and demonstrated to them so that they will have eternal life. I'm buying friends, so to speak. I know that sounds kind of weird, but that's how Jesus phrased it. So are you leveraging what God has given you for the kingdom of God? Some of you are gifted in guitar. I was blessed this morning to have, you know, uh, Vicky and Andrew Euchard up here. I'm just blessed that they're using their gifts for the Lord. It doesn't have to be in a very public way, but I mean, what has God given you to do for His kingdom? So money is a huge part of that. We are going to be faithful with what we've been trusted with now, and then we will be given more for, verse 10 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Verse 11, and so if you have not been trustworthy in handling the worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Anybody lent out a tool to someone? <laughs> and it comes back and the cord's frayed and it's all nicked up and it's just like, it's like, you know? Anybody drive a rental car ever? You know, you kind of, you're not so maybe concerned with that because it's not whose? It's not yours. It's actually someone else's and you're renting it, right? Same, same principle. Out of the 40 parables that Jesus used in the Gospels, one-third have to do with money in some fashion. Pretty wild, huh? The picture time and time again is that earthly example of a heavenly truth. That's what he keeps doing. He gives us an earthly example pointing to a heavenly truth. And the truth is that if you are mismanaging the worldly wealth that God has given you, you have been living for yourself, you know, you're spending on your pleasures, living for temporary future instead of pleasing your master by using whatever he has given you for his glory and for his kingdom. What makes us think that we're going to be entrusted with true riches, eternal riches, eternal rewards? But I thought that if I prayed the prayer, then I'm saved. Yes, of course, we're saved by grace through faith. But those who are saved, they live out their life for Christ. It's demonstrated in what they do. That's what James says. Faith without works is what? Dead. It's the beautiful balance of it all. It's the evidence that we are saved. The evidence that we have faith by how we live and what we do. Now, I'm not saying that if you're in debt, you're not saved. Not at all. God likes to save people who are in debt. Amen? <laughs> We're in an eternal debt of sin to Him, and He forgave us our debt. Praise the Lord. Amen? That's, he's in the business of forgiving debt. I love that. It's an opportunity for you to grow in the Lord in humility. Amen? And the elders and I, we can pray for you and, and help you get back on track in that area. I want to encourage you to, to 
be humble in that area and to step out and say, hey, I need, I need help, I need wisdom. And may the body of Christ surround you and help you and help you change your character and your spinning habits or whatever might happen so that you can now contribute to the kingdom of God. Amen? Be a part of what he's calling you to do. There's that tension there. The expectation is that the believer will live in light of eternity. Unbelievers live only for now. That's the way it is. Fast forward to Revelation. It's the same thing. The people who run into the, into the earth, the earth dwellers, so to speak, they're crying out that the rocks would follow them rather than face God. They love the world so much. <laughs> Unbelievers live only for now. Verse 13, no one can serve what? Two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both what? God and money or God and mammon. Whatever your translation says. Who's your master? How do you know who's your master? I want you to go ahead today, this afternoon, homework. I want you to go home and take your bank statement. Get online, whatever you do. And just look at where you, where you put all your money. Amen? Look at where you put all your money. Where does it go? Where, does your, where, where is it being spent? How does that work? And, and ask, yourself, ask yourself as you look at that, where does God fit into all this? Where does his kingdom fit into all this? Where does his mission fit into all this? Am I poking in, into, the, into the bear's mouth or whatever I'm doing here? Is it bugging you that I'm talking about this? I hope it is. But just open it up and honestly look at it and say, God, where do, you, where do you fit into this? Am I a slave to this master or am I a slave to you? That's a really important question to ask. Who am I serving? Let me ask another question. Does, does giving towards the Lord's work, and I'm not just talking about here, but I'm talking about just giving towards the Lord and His mission and how that works, is that an obligation to you? Or is that a conviction and a, and a joy? Do you resent it when the offering plate comes around? Do you resent the fact that, you know, people would... I don't know how to describe this. But I know in, in my heart, in my life, if I... Well, there's a war that goes on in my heart when I know I need to give and... And, and, I, and I know I, get, I do it, but I don't do it with joy, but I do it out of obligation. And, and I kind of resent the fact that I've given. Anybody ever been there? Maybe this morning. <laughs> and, and what it is, is in my own heart, I want something. And, and giving this up means that I won't necessarily get that. Does anybody have that going on ever? I and mean, I would much rather eat out and have my coffee or whatever it is that we talk about, you know, I want that toy or that thing. I'd much rather have that than giving to something that's, the, the, you know, giving to God, so to speak. Jesus, th- that's an issue we need to really look about and pray about in our hearts because that's a heart issue. That's a master issue. Now, obviously, if you're giving to something that's mismanaging things, you go, okay, well. But just talking about giving to the Lord, 
Is that like your joy? Is it just a natural response because he has saved you from a debt that you could never repay? And so when you get that check, you go, God, what do you want? I want to give you something out of my heart because I love you so much. You see, that's the kind of thing that the Lord is expecting from us. And by the way, if you're a 10% tither, that's Old Testament. And by the way, it's, that's, that's mixed up with a bunch of things. We are 100% all God's. He owns it all. And by the way, whatever is in your heart, you give back to the Lord. That's New Testament. So I hope the burden of the law is off of you. And now you've got a much heavier one, the law of love, <laughs> which is, reveals your heart. See, 10% goes, oh, check. But the other one goes, okay, should I give 10% or should I? But if I don't give for 10%, I feel guilty or whatever, you know, and you go through, anybody else go through that? Just work it out with the Lord. What is worship? God, this is what I want to give to you. This is my heart. And it's not just here, church. I don't want to just think, yes, we're to support the ministry of the gospel that's happening here. That's just, that's not said. But whatever God has for you, a person down the street, a ministry that he has you in contact with, a Christian aid center, whatever it is, however God wants to use you in your life, are you saying, okay, here, I'm an open book, Lord, whatever. And you might go, hey, I'm going to actually suffer for doing this. I might not get what I want. But see, you love the Lord so much that you're willing to be led by his spirit and to be a crazy giver for God. Who wants to be around that kind of person? As opposed to, okay, here you go, here's the law. <laughs> here's your allowance, you know. That's why I love grandparents. <clears throat> Grace. <laughs> but no one can serve two masters. You know, there's that war that goes on in my mind when I give. I really want to do this. We get into that cycle. But when I'm full of the Spirit, when I'm full of the Word, and I'm walking in the light, there's nothing more fulfilling than giving to the Lord His people, His gospel, His work. I am looking for opportunities to bless people. Anyone else like that? You're just looking for people to bless in the name of the Lord, to be a funnel through him, you know, that he funnels through you to, to the people, that they would know him in that way. And that's the heart, I think, of New Testament discipleship and giving. Nothing comes close to it. So really check yourself. You can't serve two masters. You're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. And look at where you spend your time, your talent, and your treasure, and it's going to show you where your allegiances lie, Right? Now, we're going to pass the plate again right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we're not going to. <laughs> it's one and done. You're, don't worry about it. <laughs> but verse 14, the Pharisees who what? Loved money, heard all this and were what? Sneering at Jesus. <laughs> you just got this picture. These are religious guys. It wasn't the outright crazy guys. It was the guys who were... Um, dressed up, who did the right clothes, who went to the services, who did all that stuff, who paid their tithes, who did everything they were, they were the ones who were really upset with Jesus. The ones you would typify as the epitome of what a Christian should be outwardly. Those are the guys who sneered at Jesus, even though we're talking about Judaism here. 
Hopefully none of you are sneering at Jesus this morning. And he said to them, you are the, you are the ones who, who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Because Jesus spoke against what they loved, they got mad. Because that's what their kingdom was built around. They loved money. Money and religion are a dangerous combo without the Spirit of God at the center. They are. The Pharisees were the ones who on the outside appeared to be those religious people, but inwardly they were full of greed. People esteemed them because of what they saw, but God saw their hearts that they loved money. They didn't care about people. They didn't care about his kingdom or his cause. They cared about their agenda. And they would give if it was suited what they wanted to have happen, not what the scripture said, so to speak. You know, this is a danger for us as professing believers in Jesus Christ. You know, we proclaim with our lips, the Lord Jesus is Lord. We sing the songs, we go to church, we even put money in the offering plate, but what's in our hearts? Amen? What's in our hearts? Amos prophesied to Israel, the northern kingdom, before their captivity in Amos chapter 5, 21 through 23. And Amos says, I hate, I despise, this is the Lord speaking, I I hate and I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. You stink. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps but let justice roll on like a river, righteous like a never-failing stream. See, they had all the church stuff down, but there was injustice going on among them. And I don't want to go into the whole, the whole situation, but they were taking advantage of widows and all this type of stuff. It brought God's judgment upon them eventually. There, were, there was idolatry going on. He would go, later on go... And talk about that. But you see, they had the ritual of church, so to speak, down. They had this down, church. But their hearts were far from God. And Amos would go on and speak of those idols and the injustice that made their offerings unacceptable to God. It made their worship stink. That's why when we, when we read of um, the New Testament, it says if you've got something against a brother or a sister and you go to church and you sing the songs and all that type of stuff... Don't even bother. Go get right. You get right with them. You try to go and you, and, and by the way, they wronged you. You go, you go to them and make it right. Why would I do that? Because we've wronged God and God came to us and made us right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we're to go pursue those things and get right with our fellow man as best we can. And then our worship is acceptable to God. Amen? I mean, Christine and I, we kind of have a day of reckoning. <laughs> You know, she knows I've got to stand before you. If there's things going on in the week, we've got to get it taken care of. You know, I can't, I can't have that hypocritical thing going on. It happens to all of us. But the Lord wants a, tr- a broken and a contrite heart. It's not the offerings that count. It's what actually is in our hearts. And by the way, the offerings show often what's in our hearts. And so the ritual is there, but is the love there? The love and primary pursuit of money in the life of the believer is warned against. 
and is like serving another master. We're closing. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. He's talking to young pastor Timothy. He's looking at the church and he's saying, Be careful, Timothy. There's, a, there's, there's greed and, and these things that can happen. There's attachments that happen with money. Don't be in ministry to pursue money. Pursue money. And teach your people basically not to pursue wealth, right? That's not the primary thing. But he says there, that for love of money is the root of all kind of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. How many of you have experienced in your own life or someone you know to where you know God has called you to something, but because you wanted to pursue this one path and it was built upon greed, you wish you had never gone out down it. Years later, you found out, wow, that was just, I could have gone down this path, but I went down this path, and it was because I wanted money. Anybody been there? No. Okay, never mind. <laughs> so, may the Lord of your life be Jesus Christ. Amen? And I pray that you will seek Him and obey Him concerning the riches you have in this present life and how you might use them for His kingdom and His glory in an act of worship. And that you will store up for yourselves treasures in heaven and that many would come to know the Lord Jesus through you. That when you support a missionary, you don't know all the things that are going on, but people are going to come to the Lord through that faithful servant and you're helping them do what they can do. And they're going to preach the gospel and people are going to come to the Lord. And on that day, you're going to be in heaven going, oh, I forgot about that. There's going to be like 40 people, 50 people staring, hey, thank you. You know, I'm just, who knows what it's going to be like. It's probably going to be a little different than that. Pour yourself out like a drink offering, like Paul. Pour yourself out before the Lord. Trust Him with your riches. Trust that He will take care of you. Trust that He will provide. Don't let fear stop you from being an incredible giver to the Lord. Amen? And leave the injustices up to the Lord. He'll take care of it. Amen? He'll take care of the Learjet people and all that kind of stuff or whatever it is. Be wise. Work hard. Take care of your families, obviously. It's okay to save. It's okay to do those things. That's, that's biblical. We read that in Old Testament. But be like the Lord who is a giver. Amen? That's worship. Lord God, we want to thank you this morning for all that you have given us. Lord Jesus, you humbled yourself. You gave up riches in the throne and came down to be one of us and lived as a, as, a, as a man among us, serving us even, God. You took on the form of a servant. You poured your life out for us. You even gave up your own blood for us. And God raised you up. And I pray that us as your precious blood-bought church would do the same. We would walk in that path where we would pour ourselves out just as you did. And we would embrace the cross. We would give wholeheartedly for your glory. 
And so, Lord, where we have sinned, forgive us. Where we're in a pit we can't get out of, rescue us, God. Change us, Lord. And I pray that you would use the body of Christ, Lord, here to encourage one another in these areas. May your gospel go forward, Lord. We pray that missionaries would be supported. We pray that even from this church, your message would abound, God, to all of Walla Walla and from the valley through the various people here and obviously through the teaching here in the pulpit, Lord, but through them, God. Let your word ring true. Let your resources flow out, your goodness flow out to people who are hurting, God, and may they see your goodness and hear your voice and respond in repentance to the gospel that they have sinned. They're headed for hell But God has provided the Savior, Jesus Christ, that they repent and believe upon His sacrifice, they would have eternal life. And they would follow you from that day forward. So I'm asking that many people would come to know you through this fellowship. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. We know it's your will. Amen.